we have considered the various theological views that are held relating to the relationship between the church and the state. We have also considered your citizenship as, as, as a citizen of the country in which you are born in. We've also considered the relationship that is there between the state and the church. And we have also considered the political involvement of a Christian. So during this <coughs> political season, it's vitally important for us to maintain peace and unity within the church. And th this is a very, um, we say, a sensitive time because we can have differences in opinion, but those differences should not be opportunities for us to devour one another. And this morning, I'd like us to consider the issue of civil disobedience. So biblical view of politics, civil disobedience. Even as we have differences in the church, we should be loving and respectful in our disagreement because biblically informed people will always have differences. Politics should not divide us as a church. We should be eager, as Ephesians 4.3 says, we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So the desire for unity should not weaken our conviction. So this morning, as we consider the topic of civil disobedience, I'll refer to the case in point the year 2020 when uh, there was the outbreak of the coronavirus and the government overreached its, its authority by imposing restrictions and limitations on the church. And so if the government was to declare today or back then when it declared the church as a non-essential service, you see, those who make such decisions, such claims, do not know the truth of God. They are ignorant of the things of God. And looking back then, many people suffered because of missing out on the means of grace. Many people, their spiritual life was deadened so that the effects of the, of the COVID pandemic was less than what people suffered as a result of isolation and restrictions. So as I begin, I'd like to reinforce a number of points that we've considered in the past class. Um, let me reinforce these principles and then we shall uh, dig deeper. So let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Someone please read Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7.
let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Will you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Yeah, thank you. I'll request Alex to read First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Return there, First Peter chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14. From, those, from these two passages, it's very clear that civil authority is sovereignly appointed by God. That's the first point. Civil authority is sovereignly appointed by God. And we've looked at other passages, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4, and it is God who establishes kingdoms. It is God who overthrows kings. So God is the only true sovereign king. In AD, around 54, AD 55, the Roman Empire got a new emperor called Nero. And if you've read of Nero, you can imagine the atrocities that he did against the Christians. Yet, we acknowledge that it was by God's divine appointment. Make no mistake about it. Every civil authority is appointed by the sovereignty of God. It could be Hitler, it could be the best leader in this world, it could be the worst leader. Every ruler is divinely appointed by God. And that underscores something that is very crucial for us these days. If God is the one who establishes all civil authorities, God is always the supreme authority. Francis Schaeffer says, God has ordained the state as a delegated authority. It is not autonomous. End of quote. So God has ordained the state of, as, a, as a delegated authority. It is not autonomous. It is not independent. And then second point, as you look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, 
and 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14, civil authorities are appointed by God to punish evildoers and to commend and support the common good. In other words, the government is a gift from God that is designed to protect life and to restrain evil. So the state, Francis Schaeffer says, I quote, the state is to be an agent of justice to restrain evil by punishing the wrongdoer and to protect the good in society when it does the reverse. It has no proper authority. It is then usurped authority and as such it becomes lawless and is tyranny. So when the government fails to protect the good in the society, when the government fails to punish the wrongdoers, its authority has been usurped and the society becomes lawless or tyrannical. So third thing, as we look at those two passages, because of those two reasons, the Bible says that civil authority is a minister of God. You can put it this way, our president, Uhuru Kenyatta, is a minister of God, is a servant of God. Even in countries when we have dictators, those dictators have been placed there by God. God is absolutely sovereign over all rulers, whether they agree that they are ministers of God, whether they do not agree that they are ministers of God. So they are ministers of God, as the word of God says. And then fourthly, subjection to civil authorities is not only for the sake of avoiding judgment or punishment, but it's also a matter of conscience. So we, we obey civil authorities also for the sake of conscience. Obedience is not nullified because you do not like the civil authority. Obedience is not nullified when the candidate that you do not like becomes the president next month. Even though the president may, so the, the government may perform poorly in handling economy, in handling its people, even though the government of the day continues to disobey court orders, yet for the sake of our conscience, we obey civil authority because we recognize that God is sovereign. And then fifthly, Christian citizens have basic obligation to the civil government. We have an obligation as Christians. You have a basic obligation to the government to give honor to whom honor is due, to pay your taxes, to recognize the authority structures around us. But they, at the same time, there's a sense in which rulers are to be rebuked. And they are rebuked when they are not serving as ministers of God. And we've looked at the examples, examples of John the Baptist. He rebukes Herod the king for his immorality. We've seen the example of Daniel. He tells Nebuchadnezzar to turn away from his sin and to turn to righteousness. So subjection to civil authority does not mean that there is no criticism of the civil authority. 
civil authority is authority under God, whether they recognize it or not. So that when there is government overreach, so that people cannot gather in the church, so that there is spiritual deadening. And the government uses that to impose and to limit the freedom of people, to restrict churches, that contravenes the constitution. When there's restrictions, for example, towards the church, and those restrictions are not equally applied to other places in the society, then you notice that there's discrimination against the church. So that, for example, the example in 2020, I'll say that that sets a dangerous precedent for religious liberty and lays the groundwork for future persecution. That makes the constitution to be irrelevant to Christians. Because the biblical injunction for Christians is to be in subjection to their governing authorities. And that is regardless of the form of government that you live under. We see Paul, the apostle, using his rights as a Roman citizen to avoid flogging. He used his right as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar for judgment. So he does not discount his privileges. Rather, he employs those privileges to his advantage. And so our cit Kenyan citizenship is not irrelevant. We have a responsibility as Christians to honor God-ordained structures in the society, to pay our taxes, to obey the law of the land, and we should really thank God that we live in a country that is a constitutional republic. There's no anarchy, there's no chaos, there's no lawlessness. And that's, that's why when someone says that when they get into power, they are going to suspend the constitution, that's a dangerous thing to say. Because you're opening up to anarchy and chaos and all sorts of confusion. So the form of government that we have here in Kenya tells us that no one is above the law. So when we say that no one is above the law, we are saying that the law is king and no one is above it, even those who govern it. So those elected officials, wherever they may be, they must work under the legal framework. Therefore, it's not right for liberty to be provided in the constitution to be taken away so that churches cannot be limited or restricted yet the constitutions the constitution makes it very clear that there is religious liberty so it's a big mistake if we say today that the church should obey the government period that is unbiblical although there should be absolute submission to the government yet we see from scripture Acts chapter 5 verse 29 we must obey God rather than men and so there are examples of civil disobedience in scripture 
This is because civil authority is not supreme over God. Civil authority is not absolute. Francis Schaeffer says, I'll quote, if there is no final place for, fin for civil disobedience, then the government has, made, has been made autonomous. And as such, it has been put in the place of the living God. If we remove the idea of civil disobedience, what we are saying is the government is God. And the government does whatever it pleases. So the starting point of obedience to the government begins with the fact that our obedience and loyalty is first given to God. And because of that, we render to Caesar the things that are of Caesar. We render to God things that are God's. So that demands that Caesar stays in his own realm, stays in its own boundary. The government should not encroach on the things that are God's. When obedience to God is at stake, disobedience to government is duty. Benjamin Franklin says, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. So each sphere of authority is supposed to stay in its own lane. Each sphere of authority must have its own boundary. And government, for the most part, abuses its power. So every sphere of authority must stick to its lane. And when the government overreaches, it's the duty of the other sphere of government to remind the government that it should get back in its lane. When the government encroaches on the church with limitations and restrictions, the church needs to remind the state to stay in its own lane. There's another consideration which is very vital. The church has only one authority. You as an individual are under the authority to the, government, to the governing structures, but you're also under the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, verse 18. So none of First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, and Romans 13, 1 and 7, which we've read, says that the state has authority of the, over the church. The state has no authority over the church. Jesus Christ rules both. And neither the state and the church rule each other. Romans 13 does not assert that the state has authority over the church. It does not teach submission to governing authorities is absolute. John Gill, writing a commentary on whoever resists human authority, resists God in, in Romans chapter 13, says, resists the ordinance of God, the will and appointment of God, whose pleasure it is that there should be such an office and that men should be subject to it. This is not to be understood as if magistrates were above the laws and had a lawless power to do as they will without opposition, for they are under the law and liable to the penalty of it. In case of disobedience as others, and when they make their own 
will allow or exercise a lawless tyrannical power in defiance of the laws of God and of the land to the endangering of the lives, liberties, and properties of subjects, they may be resisted. As Saul was by the people of Israel when he would have took away the life of Jonathan for the breach of an arbitrary law of his own, and that too without the knowledge of it. So magistrate was an old word used to refer to anyone who held office. And so as a church, what do you think is should be our response when the government says that it is banning the gathering of people to to worship? What do you think should be our response as a church? What should we do when the church says close the churches? Sorry, when the state says close the churches. Yes, though, though I'm not against using the court and persuading the government to open the churches, but my point is we should not beg the government to open churches. To ask permission to the government to open churches is to presuppose that the government has all the authority. And often the government tends to abuse its power. And so it must be kept from its coverage. Listen, brethren, it's not the constitution of this country that establishes your sphere of authority. It is not the Bill of Rights. It is not the freedom that is in the constitution that gives you authority to worship. The thing that gives you authority to worship is authority from God. It's not what is written in the Constitution. So the Bill of Rights simply acknowledges the rights given by God. It, the Bill of Rights does not grant rights. It simply acknowledges that you have a right to worship, for example. So when you ask any Kenyan, <coughs> where does your authority come from? If they say it's, 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 it's the Constitution, 
I, I don't know, you should slap them immediately or what? <laughs> I'm just joking. Because our rights come from our creator. The government is to protect those rights. And so what happens when we oppose the unjust orders of an unjust ruler that is imposed on the church? You see, the minute that we go down the road of seeking justice through the court system, of persuading leaders, you're granting the court more authority than it has. Real opposition to an unjust ruler who makes an unjust orders on the church, real opposition comes by not obeying the order. We oppose the restrictions on the meeting by meeting as a church. So by doing so, we oppose unjust orders and rules. So when you meet as a church, you're not being rebellious. Why? Because you're acting on a higher authority. So this is a matter of a higher authority, and that is the heart of civil disobedience. Those who are opposing an unjust law or directive of a pro prohibition, when they run to the court, they are running to a lesser magistrate. And so when a law authority seeks to compel the church against an obligation to God, the way to resist it is to obey a higher authority. And you, if, you, if you read the history of the church, you read about the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, you realize that there will be no success of reformation without civil disobedience. John Frame says, civil disobedience becomes our responsibility when the civil laws stand in the way of moral obligation. We have the example in Exodus of the Hebrew midwives. They are told to kill all male children that are, that are born. Th that is a decree from Pharaoh. Now they lied. They lied to protect life and God blessed their courage. And when you think of the book of Exodus as a whole, who is the God-ordained authority in Egypt, in Exodus? It is Pharaoh. Yet Paul quotes Exodus and in Romans chapter 9 verse 17 he says I raised up I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth Paul quotes God talking about Pharaoh and God is saying he raised Pharaoh though he was a wicked king for this very purpose that God might display his power and that his might might be proclaimed in all the earth. So that the decree of the king was that they should kill the children. But the Hebrew midwives disobeyed. The decree of the king to Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel was that they should not live. 
But under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, what did they do? They defied the decree of the king in order to obey God. We have the example of, of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 14. He gives a foolish decree. So they are chasing down the Philistines. And Saul is so determined to capture them. And he says nobody should eat anything until dawn. So here are the soldiers, they're exhausted. And Jonathan and his armor bearer, they did not hear that. They go on and eat the honey, and the Israelites end up losing the battle. So Saul wanted to know who disobeyed my decree, my edict. And it's known that it is Jonathan and his armor bearer. Yet the soldiers refuse to kill Jonathan. They say Jonathan does not deserve to die. In other words, what they are saying is, that is a bad law, and we are not going to enforce it. That was civil disobedience. You have to realize, brethren, that even in the military, disobedience to unjust order is often commended. In Daniel chapter 3, we have the example of Nebuchadnezzar. He makes a statute and he orders everyone to worship that statute. And that was a law applied to everybody. So when the trumpets were to be blown, everyone was to go and worship the idol, the statute. And so it was an unjust law. We have the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who defied the law. They will not obey the law of Nebuchadnezzar and they defied God. We have the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Those people write a law that says that you cannot pray in the next 30 days. And the law was designed to single out Daniel. It, has anterior, it had anterior motives. But what does Daniel do? He had the decree. Did he say the king is king? Did he seek solution in the court system? Did he seek to persuade the leaders? No. He does not even petition to the king. He went, he opened his windows, and he prayed to God. So, <clears throat> what do you make of people who say, for example, um, during the, the, the case in point uh, 2020, when the churches were closed, what do you make of people who say that we should obey the government because we have not been prohibited from preaching the gospel. What do you make of that? People will make a case and say, let's, let's obey the government because it has not restricted us from preaching the gospel. It's only gathering together. What do you make of that? Yeah. 
we should obey the government because we have not been prohibited from preaching the gospel. Mm. They are dealing with the wrong, the wrong issue. I think they they are replacing obedience for one mm. with obedience for another. Yeah. And so it, it's it, it's like saying that we should obey uh, the authorities because God has God is the one that has instituted them. Mm. We should disobey God on this other area, yeah. um, which which is completely faulty, mm-hmm. a faulty way of uh, arguing. Mm-hmm. I think we should we should try and show them that the issue at hand is is the gathering of the saints. We should try and show them that the scriptures speak clearly about uh, how we should conduct ourselves regarding gatherings. Mm-hmm. And then we should disobey the authority. Yeah. Yes. 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 We are seeking to preserve life mm. in the sense that to together, mm. as in, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. Yes. And yes. So, <coughs> I think in the in the early months, people didn't know um, so much about the disease. Yet, over time, we realize that the disease kills a very small percentage of people. And many people who will catch the disease, and I guess everyone of us here caught the disease. And it's a small minority of people who will lose their lives. So that when you realize that, then you should open the churches. You should go back to church. But it has to do also with your conscience. If you're weak in conscience so that uh, <laughs> you're not able to worship God, you're not able to gather with others because you are of weak conscience, then you should not gather. But that does not um, make the churches to be closed, to be banned, to be restricted. You see? So, yes. I think it's, it's not like... The government realized that this is a small matter. Mm. They uh, they defaulted to saying that uh, uh, people now should gather. Mm. I think we should we should be aware that our government is secular, mm. and it's not thinking it's, it's not thinking um, it's not thinking the way God would have them think, um, and. I think I agree completely with what was uh, saying there that uh, we 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 only had to take time, which would be well granted. Uh, Christian prudence demands that when something like COVID comes, we we, we be careful. 
but then immediately after we realized that this is this might be a pandemic in other places of the world but it's not a pandemic in Kenya um, it's a disease like any other that has measures that can be put in place and allow us to obey God while we preserve life and so because of that then uh, the government was continuously overreaching its authority yes I agree we are not saying that we disobey the health protocols and such measures. What you are saying is when you use such a pandemic to impose restrictions on the church, you're defying the civil liberties of people, which are then the constitution, but above all, God has granted them those liberties to worship him. And so, for example, I can give you an example of the, of the church in Nairobi. Um, we had people with underlying conditions and they were advised not to come to church because that could be dangerous to them. Um, older people were advised not to come to church but also you f we, could, we could see older people, people in their 70s, someone in, in his 70s coming to church regardless because he didn't have any underlying condition, his life was not at risk yeah and and if you find time you can read the effects of of covid in 2020 the effects of isolating and restricting people from social gathering is far worse than the disease itself uh, i think i could be wrong but i think the, the, those who lose their lives through covid was a very small percentage very small percentage i, I don't know those, those in the medical field could, could maybe could could give a figure So civil disobedience is lawful every time there's a command or a prohibition that causes you to go against an obligation to God. And so when people say that we've not been restricted from preaching the gospel, you see civil disobedience covers the whole obligation given to you as, as, as a Christian so that as much as you are allowed to preach the gospel, but your rights to meet and to gather, so, so, so that the, the government is dictating to you how you should worship God. You see, that is, uh, that is infringing on the liberties of the people. In Acts chapter four and five, we have the example of civil disobedience. The apostles are preaching Christ, they are arrested, they are told not to preach Christ. And Peter in his immortal words says, it is better to obey God rather than man. And so they pay the price. They suffer the consequences of their civil disobedience. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Daniel, they suffer the consequences of their disobedience, but they honored Christ by obeying him. And so who do we obey? You see, Godless men, wicked people, used the pandemic in 2020, for example, to hurt the church. And so as Christians, we, we should pray imprecatory prayers, as, as we looked at last week. It's time for the church to pray that God will not raise wicked leaders, wicked leaders who can 
bring persecution and opposition to the Church of Christ. And so the orders, the directives imposed by the government were not for the greater good of the citizens. And the church was not obligated to obey them. I want you to think I, I want to think I want you to think of this in two levels. The first level is the supreme authority is of God. That is the very first consideration. So that whether you're in China, in North Korea, whether you're in Somalia where there are no um, religious liberties, no matter where you are, you should worship God as prescribed in his word. So that you see the example of China, the state demands people to worship in a particular way or you have underground <coughs> churches and you find many people having underground churches in China. You see our highest authority is always to the Lord our God. Has God not commanded you to keep the fourth commandment? Has God not commanded you to observe the Lord's Supper? Has God not commanded you to baptize? So wh why will you def defy God and obey man? When the church says, you can close the churches, you can live stream the sermons, that is government overreach. A directive on how you should worship goes against uh, goes against God. So Christ is the head of the church. There is no king apart from Christ. So that we don't need permission from the state to worship Christ according to scripture. You don't need permission from the state to worship God according to your conscience. And so you find in <coughs> in 2020, the supermarkets were not closed. The markets were not closed. Yet the churches were closed. And so you don't beg the government to open churches because the permission to worship comes from God. The church does not need permission from the state to be the church. The church has the mandate from the Lord of the universe. Brethren, that's enough. The second level, I want you to, to look at it, is there's a separation of the church and the state. But when you have a case in which you're in the university and you begin a Bible study and the school says that you cannot um, you cannot have the Bible study for whatever reason. That, that is the abuse of power by the state. The abuse of power that erodes our civil liberties. And so we should not be pietists who say that, who, should, who dismiss the importance of life. Pietists say that what, what matters is, is going to heaven when you die. You have a mandate to live this life for the glory of God. All of life, including your citizenship here on earth, should be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
because you should be concerned about the kind of world you leave behind the kind of world where your children and your girl, uh, grandchildren will grow up and so when caesar begins to claim things that belong to god caesar must be resisted christ must, must be obey must be obeyed and so our duty is always to obey christ even in times of disobeying caesar any any question before i make closing remarks or anything you like to say if this whole matter of civil disobedience is very important especially because we live in a day and time where the concept of god is either skewed or People want to do away with it completely, and the the the, the teaching that every authority is under God is absolutely important, and it's important for us to mention that there will be persecution, and 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 uh, again we live in a day and time where, at least for us and for the better part of the world, persecution is. Is, is 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 small. Uh, it's only places like Afghanistan or China or uh, Japan or Russia where there are, there are wars that Christians are persecuted. But for the greater part of the world, Christians are at peace, and, and therefore people are people do not quite have the concept of persecution well embedded in their minds. And this whole of this whole matter of civil disobedience grants that persecution will come and we must be ready for it and we must be able to say like the apostles we must obey God we will obey God and we must obey him because he is the supreme authority yeah I agree there's a way persecution is coming there's a way in which the, start, the state is encroaching upon the church and you and I must be ready to stand. You see, over in 2020, looking in hindsight, you see how the evil one is, is very crafty. The, the evil one came through just, just a virus. And if that was to happen today, again, for example, it will be much easier for the church to be persecuted than when, when, uh, than in 2020. So let's resolve as God's people not to give in to fear. Whether it's fear of the virus, whether it's fear of the authorities, do what is right. Do what Christ, your King, commands you. Pray for the body of Christ. And uh, we take the posture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If God will not deliver us, we will not bow to the idol. Yeah. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning and thank you that you have commanded us in your word that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been revealed to us. 
and we pray that you may help us to honor you to love Christ to to love you with all our heart help us to obey you in the little things and in the great things we pray for our leaders that as we near the election you may raise godly leaders we pray for the church too that it will stand firm in your truth help us all lord as we continue to worship you this morning these things we pray in jesus name amen, amen.